Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. Here's looking at you, kid. Get away from her, you... Hey everyone, welcome back to This Is Film. We are recording our third consecutive episode. 2020 is a whole new beast. I'm so excited to have Carlo with me. Carlo, let us know that you're real. I am real. I'm so real. I'm more realer than Pinocchio. (laughs) So are you really real right now? Can you tell me if you're real right now? If you're really. I'm a real boy. I'm a real boy. (laughs) See, I was trying to get like some method band stuff happening in there, but I was nah, trying to give you hip hop references and you it. didn't take it. You didn't run with it. No, nah, I like to just sweep the rug <laughs> right out from under you, mate. Yeah, if I try and do any kind of lame setup podcast, like dad joke thing, you're like, no, I, nah. will, I will not involve myself in this. So <laughs> Happily derail it. It's good to know that I'm not backed up on this podcast of two people. So I, <laughs> there's, there's no support. I will, I will, I will catch you when you fall. But if it's a dad joke, you will fall right on your face. Oh, okay, well, look, I'm going to faceplant a few <laughs> times over the course of this next year. Look, guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, it's been one of those weeks where we kind of actually saw the same thing. So we're going to talk this week about Birds of Prey. And if you want to have the entire title in there and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. So this is a pseudo sequel to Suicide Squad in 2016, as divisive as that was. Or was it? We don't know. We may be talking about that later because our other topic was... We'll talk about tonight is the quote-unquote divide between audiences and critics. Uh, probably most importantly, that the whole Rotten Tomatoes saga that it is. Does that actually affect movie-going audiences and responses? And with that, we'll talk about IMDb and Letterbox and things like that. So, look, Carlo, we both went and saw Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. We both wrote reviews. Your review is is glowing. Mine is is. Not as glowing as yours, but still quite strongly supportive of the film. You chose some colourful language, including the word (laughs) Nutella, to describe your love and affection for this film. Uh, Guys, it's a really well... I I thought I did a pretty good job with the the Birds of Prey review. I was pretty happy with that. And then I read Carlos and said, look, I have to stop writing reviews. It's just one of those (laughs) things where I have to just go, you know, I don't have a unique voice. Carlo, he has a unique voice. And and if you look at just what he says and how he puts it together, and the stats back it up, that the audiences, they love your work. So, Carlo, talk to me. Talk me through this nutty Nutella, chocolate sprinkled, smeared all over the camera experience that you had. Well, I went into Birds of Prey hoping for the best, and I actually got better out of it. Birds of Prey was... It, it had... The cinematography of Matthew Libertick, who is probably one of my favorite cinematographers of all time. Black Swan. Black Swan, uh, Iron Man. It's got the uh, action choreography of Chad Stahelski, who directed John Wick films. Um, And it's basically a kind of chopped and screwed version of Birds of Prey, which is a sort of all-girl team told through the lens of a breakup film, a getting back on your feet film, a kind of like emancipation, finding one's groove sort of film. And I loved it from start to finish. Everything, the music, the fight choreography. Um, uh, uh, I was about to call her Harley Robbie for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> Good for audience slip. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn owns like the character and this film and just doing some further reading about 
how much work she actually had put into being a producer and making sure that the vis- vision of Kathy Yan was brought to life has sort of given me an entirely new perspective and a new respect for who she is. She, she's gone above and beyond just being sort of like, I guess, another pretty blonde that Hollywood sort of just looks for every few generations. She's now this sort of, she's taken the Hollywood capital that she's built up in a very sort of short period of time and she's using it to the benefit of other women filmmakers female actresses and making sure that uh, a sort of i guess a more diverse voice and more uh, something more interesting um is being produced in uh hollywood and it what it does too for as a comic book film is it 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 shows that there's still life because i remember you were talking last week about the fact that you know you're a bit sort of like woozy about comic book movies and what have you. Mm-hmm. To me, it sort of shows that there's still juice in the genre and that there are still ways to create unique and interesting visions with this genre. You know, so there's, there's the, uh, it's the idea of there's, there's no one way to sort of tell a story within this genre or the subgenre or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I had a blast with it and I've seen it twice now and both times uh, like I walk out like just amped. Like just wildly like amped, ready to fight someone. <laughs> I, I'm assuming like if someone were to look at you walking out of a theater, it's almost like you'd jump into the air and be a freeze frame. And then like this caption yeah. would come up saying, Carlo had a great rest of his life after seeing yeah. this film. Basically that. And it's kind of like, it's it's sort of like what happens when an, like us Italian dudes go see a Rocky movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Rocky! Like, we go out Rocky. ready to fight, you know, so yeah. Oh man! So, and I'm just thinking about the whole. Now I'm getting like Eddie Murphy talking about like Rocky yeah. and, and like getting the juju fruits and all that yeah. stuff. And I'm not going to get yeah. into all that, but like very very no. funny skit. Yeah, I'm going to avoid the takedown that happens in that comedy. Look, um, yeah. from my point of view, I walked in uh, hoping for the best, but uncertain yeah. because it's it's DC and DC has had a very rocky road. I think the only DC film that I've actually got on board with at all was Wonder Woman, of which I still have problems with that film. But at least mm. they they told a fairly interesting story. I liked the the whole sequence of a woman going into no man's land and using defensive maneuvers to repel male vitriol and violence, like bullets bouncing off shields and all that kind of stuff, uh, to mm. enable people to move forward. So I quite like the symbolism of that scene, even though that's you know very obvious symbolism. I still liked it. I thought it was really empowering. So I was really on board for that. And all Themyscira stuff was really cool too. So for me, Suicide Squad's a fiasco. But Margot Robbie was like, I said this in my review, uh, my less uh, Nutella-induced review. I said that, like, DC here has done a very smart thing. They've kind of kicked 90% of what was bad in Suicide Squad to the curb, and they've kept the 10%. And that 10% was really Margot Robbie. I mean, Margot Robbie's uh, costume and just her personality and all that kind of character stuff she was doing in that film – it became a hit. Like every girl dressed up as Harley Quinn that year. And you can talk about whether that's a yeah. good thing or a bad thing, but it certainly had its moment in popular culture. People quite warmed to her in a very uh, way. It wasn't just male, the male gaze. It was also uh, women quite like the character as well. So seeing that be transformed and taken, uh, taken the Joker out of that situation 
taking world building out of that situation. Like this doesn't have to link to, to Justice League or Shazam or Flashpoint or anything. There's no Aquaman stuff. There's no someone coming in with a briefcase saying that they have an Avengers initiative or a <laughs> Justice League initiative. It's just a standalone kind of film. And that's sort of refreshing in a way, even though I like long storm, uh, long-term storytelling like a Kevin Feige, it's nice to just have something that operates on its own terms in its own world uh and i actually don't know why i didn't take note of this but i had no idea how violent and how sweary the thing was going to be i, I didn't realize they were going for the the hard r in america and the ma over yeah. in australia i had no idea i literally thought it was going to be suicide squad and it was going to be like a pg-13 so all of a sudden when they're dropping f-bombs everywhere and like faces are being cut off and characters are exploding i'm going oh this is violent wow okay (laughs) and it's not it's not just deadpool it's not and some people are saying it's the female deadpool it's not that at all it's something very very different because i i always feel like and i know you're a big deadpool fan i always think that deadpool is uh very uh pat itself on the back look at me i'm really smart and clever Uh, i'm full of pop culture references and and that stuff's fun to a degree but it feels very juvenile at times this doesn't feel juvenile this feels like some kind of crazy explosion of color and femininity and fun and quirk it doesn't stop to point at itself and approve itself every few minutes so yeah i think the difference between this and, and deadpool is the fact that deadpool is a if you if you look at it from the the pris- through the prism of acting as a critique of the superhero genre i think that's what deadpool is yeah. and i think that's that's personally to me why i like it so much because yeah. i love the superhero genre but i also love it when they take the piss out of out of the superhero genre as well this doesn't do that in that kind of fashion this sort of just tells a very colorful very vibrant energetic frenetic um story through the eyes of someone who may or may not be completely insane and that's that's kind of the one of the points i made with my review and that's the kind of thing I warmed to this idea when I left the theater and started conjuring my thoughts to what my review would actually look like because I kind of went, oh man, they haven't, they haven't learned from their sins of Suicide Squad with this really ridiculous disjointed structuring because Suicide Squad seemed to start and stop and spend 40, 50 yeah. minutes just introducing characters um, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, bam, they're on a mission, but then it just felt like it went nowhere with that, whereas this kind of did the same thing in a way where it, it introduced a bunch of characters, it stopped, it paused, it rewound, it showed something again so we were getting repeated scenes from different perspectives and I I was bumping on that in the movie but thankfully Margot Robbie is so energetic and vibrant I think vibrant's a great word for her but she's just so in on the performance so committed to it and just winking at the audience it's impossible not to like her so I'm going I'm enjoying the performance I, I like the design the crazy let's blow up you know uh, the chemicals plant and have fireworks and colors going everywhere. The, the whole police station confetti shotgun takedown thing was awesome. I was, you know, and, and, you know, when they're shooting up the sort of uh, police station and the, the uh, heroin or the cocaine, cocaine goes into yeah. the air and you go, oh, okay, I can see where this is going. So there's really, really fun sequences the whole way through. And the fact that she's so, the character and Margot Robbie are so, acrobatic as well means that we get some really interesting fight choreography as well that that feels different you know i, I like that john wickman was involved as well and, mm. and then i had this thought i'm going man i'm loving all these moments but i'm still not so happy with the structuring and this use of flashback and uh, rewinding and reframing things and then i realized the film is literally taking harley's unreliable narrator and making it 
the worst unreliable narrator ever, which means Mm. she might be the best unreliable narrator ever. But the whole idea is that her brain is so scatterbrained and she's thinking of one thing and thinking of something else and then she reminds herself of something and then she has to pause to remember something. I'm going, oh, so this is from her perspective. All this is from her perspective and we're jumping all over the place and that's kind of okay because that's what the character is. And so when I made peace with that, I started to enjoy the whole thing a lot better and upon reflection, I'm like, it's fine. So I don't know how I'll feel about it on second, third uh, viewings, but I'll also be looking forward to so much of it as well. There'll be moments where I'm really like, yeah, we get this moment in the cop station here. We get this moment here with the, you know, the carnival of fun and the massive hands. And also Mm. you McGregor just screaming out, it's my stuff. This is my stuff. (laughs) I died. That both times got the biggest laugh in the audience. It's the best. Which it's, it's, he, he, he comes in like a shark and just owns every scene that he's in. And I, I, I just, a part of me just wanted a whole movie just of him. Yeah. At, at one point, because I was just like, I, oh, I really just sort of want to live with this character. Up until the point where he does some pretty horrible things too. Like, oh, yeah. particularly one to like the one patron in his, in his bar. I, one scene. Yeah. I mean, and I was just I like, <laughs> oh, oh, I couldn't, oh, it just, uh. but he is, he just, eats the scenery like yeah. he just munches on it and and he doesn't stop until the very end like it is he like i want more of this kind of ewan mcgregor yeah like an yeah. unhinged just completely it, hamming it up kind just, of ewan mcgregor just just like going for like swinging for the fences kind of ewan mcgregor and he's totally know? petulant and camp and over the top and it just works yeah. like i actually thought he started off a bit slow like initially with his first scene which which mm. is fine because you, you kind of sometimes have to do that and then like his first scene was just like a hey i'm in the film type of scene then the second scene we see him and it's like hey i'm gonna like kill a family but I'll do it by cutting people's faces off and then like there's the whole sequence with the daughter where he's like I'll let you go oh wait is that a snot bubble actually on second (laughs) thought so like those kind of things are going oh you're actually having a lot of fun with this and you're really just trying to push this over the top whimsical vibrant uh, aesthetic Mm. that you're going for and just the characters are all larger than life and bursting off the page I really felt like this looked like it looked and read like a comic book uh, and sometimes yeah. we watch a lot of comic book films that feel like narrative movies that are just adapting, whereas this felt like a comic book. We didn't necessarily have too many. Well, we actually did have a bunch of freeze frames with like names and descriptions and grievances. Uh, but it did feel like a number of the shops, shots were panels from comic books and the performances. And just I could picture when Ewan's yelling, like the, the bubbles around him as he was yelling as well and just yeah. the way they shot him as well. So, look, I, I, I quite dug it. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to give it a letter score because we don't do sort of letter scores or numbers anymore on no. our website. We kind of just want to let the word speak for itself. And if you guys appreciate that and like it, then that's cool. But yeah, any, any final thoughts of Birds of Prey, Carlo? Yeah, I think every, everyone needs to go see it. Yeah, and that's the other thing we, I guess we would say. We've been kind of reviewing the box office so far and they it's actually been a pretty disappointing return. So it was projected to make much more um, and audiences haven't warmed to it. I think in America it only managed about 13 million on its opening two days, sort of Saturday morning, Friday, and a little bit of Thursday. So that's quite disappointing. Australians, we haven't done a very good job of supporting this. Uh, we've only given it about 900K across our sparse, but, you know, fairly decently populated land so uh look it is a film that's worthy of your time i know you might be burnt out by comic book films or you might be burnt out by uh, dc in particular dc's had a very uneven uh mismanaged road um but they appear to be 
completely taking the training wheels off uh, and getting rid of any big master plan to just tell individual stories that are worthy of your time. So go see Birds of Prey. Uh, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I would just say that the only thing I would say is it is very violent uh, and there's a lot of language in it. So it's the kind of film that would be really empowering for girls, but you probably need to be a little bit older to see this one. I wouldn't be taking your 10-year-old to go see this movie necessarily. Uh, you know, maybe you do, but that's not me. So look, that's Birds of Prey. That's what we've been watching because we haven't watched much else. I did re-watch Toy Story 4 today because it's now on uh, Disney+. And that's just delightful, but I won't get into that too. <laughs> Too much right now look Carla we have one big topic we're going to talk about this week and it is on this idea of audiences versus critics uh, I want to preface this by saying look I'm a wannabe critic. Uh, I have access to the internet and I can use the English language to put thoughts down on paper. Uh, <laughs> so does that qualify me as a critic? Uh, I do teach students film and television studies. I've been doing that for over 10 years. Again, does that qualify me as a critic? I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of television. I have film analysis books and textbooks that I read quite frequently. I'm writing assessment. I'm writing work programs that deal with looking at things like mise-en-scene, looking at narrative of structure all that kind of stuff so again does that qualify me as a critic i'm gonna say no i am a film enthusiast i'm a film teacher so i put this moniker on as a critic but i don't actually always feel like i am a critic i'm trying but you know in, in this modern day and age so many people believe they're critics and we live in a society where everyone wants to have their opinions heard uh no matter how <laughs> mean-spirited oh, yeah. or nasty or planned wrong those those opinions are we live in a society where we share opinions and overshare opinions and then we keep doing it. So, yeah. Carlo, do you want to mm. take the lead a bit? Because Carlo, uh, as he described to me just before we started this call, he went beautiful mind on this topic <laughs> and he was drawing scientific equations on windows and he had imaginary friends talking to him about this whole debate. So, Carlo, I'll interject here and there, but you take the lead, mate. Audience versus critics, is it a thing? Well, I mean, as Paul Bettany was sitting in the corner of my apartment as I was going through all of these numbers and crunching, you know, the statistics and what have you. Uh, there seems to be this sort of idea that, that there is a divide between audiences and critics. And I think what happens tends to happen is, is that um, there's this notion that uh, a, a critic will uh, recommend, you know, will give five stars to something that Terrence Malick has done um, that would make general audience sort of fall asleep. But I, uh, Having gone through some of the Rotten Tomato stuff and having looked at some of the numbers and what have you, it doesn't necessarily feel like the case. I have I have sort of like fought back, but back to this idea that there is a kind of divide between audiences and critics. And my initial argument would have been, uh, I have a McDonald's theory, and the <laughs> McDonald's theory is this, right? So let's say you're a critic. We'll take Pete. Peter Gray, our resident uh, Rotten Tomatoes writer. We'll take him as an example. Let's say Pete is eating McDonald's every day, but he's eating the same meal every day, right? And and by the meal, what I mean is you buy the numbers, rom-coms, you buy the numbers, thrillers and what have you, okay? And then along comes, McDonald's introduces this like amazing steak or an amazing salad or what have you. What about McRib? And, like a, 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 or a McRib or, or something. Szechuan yeah. sauce, like the Rick and Morty yeah. Szechuan sauce comes yeah. back. Exactly. So they, they introduce this thing that's like, oh my God, I, where have you been all my life? 
that's kind of what cr- being a critic is, <laughs> right? Being a critic is like you're watching, uh, on average, maybe three or four films a week, not including the um, Netflix stuff that Netflix will send you, not including the Disney Plus stuff that uh, Disney will send you. Not that they send us stuff, but like, hey, Disney, if you're listening, anytime, mate. Um, uh, it, like, you're watching this stuff constantly, right? And you are watching things over and over again. And and chances are you're probably going to be watching the same film twice um, because they'll have the same narrative. They'll, you know, they'll sort of probably interchange characters and what have you. And so critics will always, I feel, will always be wanting to look for something that is different, something that is um, going to leave an impression on them, something that's going to leave an impact on them. And that's the thing that I've always told people because like when people are like, oh, well, critics, you know, they, they don't, they don't recommend the thing that I like. And it's like, well, because they've probably seen the thing that you like 5,000 times in the last year. You know, you like the average person will probably go to the movies maybe once, twice a fortnight, if that, you know, just given what finances are and, and how expensive going to the movies is nowadays. A critic will go to the movies three, four, five times a week, given whatever their screening schedule is. Now, that being said... Having gone through some of the Rotten Tomatoes numbers and with this idea that there is a divide between critics and audiences, I've come, I don't know if this is a sort of like a definite conclusion, but I have come back to the idea that unless the film has a level of controversy controversy surrounding it, i.e. Captain Marvel or Black Panther, audiences and critics are generally sort of in sync with one another unless uh, you know unless as said there is some sort of controversy surrounding the film so for example the t- the transformer films are often <laughs> i like how you're doing uh, a whole debate about critics and you know critical advice and indie darlings yeah. and then transformers is one of the first texts you bring up well I no like because <laughs> see because see like trans i said tra- i use transformers because transformers people people often go oh i like to go to the cinema to watch you know big dumb fun and leave my brain at the door turns out that's not actually the case so i've gone back and i've had a look and critics and audiences are actually quite in sync with a lot of those films you know they they're not as big a fans of them as as one would expect i think the reason why people keep going back to them is because they're a known quantity you know they're 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 the thing that you sort of know best now if you go to imdb the ratings on those films are actually quite low people aren't huge fans of them you know um so it got me thinking so i started to like as i said i started to beautiful mind this a little bit and started to go through um, quite a quite a number of other films, or and TV shows as well, and I just found that like uh, particularly on Rotten Tomatoes because I I look at Rotten Tomatoes because that's the thing that is used as an aggregate for a lot of these things, you know, um, and marketing uh, when marketing a film, people the, the the marketing team tend to use the Rotten Tomatoes score as a oh you must come see this movie because all the critics love us, it, you know, critics are generally so the audience and the critics are generally in sync with one another. You know, there may be a discrepancy of about 20% here and there, but unless Brie Larson has said some mild comments about white critics or there is a, a, a black male lead in the role, uh, you know, in a sort of like a kind of fantastical, leading a fantastical African nation, I don't see this notion of audiences not and critics not liking the same things as one another. We do. It's just we sort of, I think... 
we look at it from a sort of a more, I don't want to say refined because that makes me sound like a bit of an elitist douche, but we just look at it through a different lens. Just given how much cinema a, like a critic and a reviewer will tend to ingest, you know? Okay, well, let me... I just stumbled across a really awesome review for Joe Cron Letterboxd recently. It was literally just about, what, nine, ten words. Uh, and it wasn't like a, a full-on critic. It's Letterboxd is another community for those who don't know. It's basically like a social media for film people. And so it's another place where you can actually go share your ratings, your reviews, follow people, comment on, on different films, create lists. Uh, just even just... I, I like it from a mere point where I just log the films I watch. Uh, so I know, oh, that's right, I've watched, you know, 15 films this month or whatever. So I quite like Letterbox. I'm not being paid to represent these guys, but it's it's getting quite big with its uh, reach. So people who are sort of getting onto mm. the network, and as the numbers grow, you're going to get more and more opinions. You're going to get more diversity of thought, things like that. Anyway, there's a review I saw about the Joker, and it reads like this: If you've never <laughs> swam in the ocean, then of course a pool seems deep, which I think kind of summarizes <laughs> kind of summarizes what That's you've funny. kind of said. And I also have very similar notes to you. And and the the McDonald's analogy is perfect. I had something less. Again, you always use like food analogies. You're like the Tarantino of film criticism because it's all about food. You're very Pulp Fiction eats. You know, five dollar big Kahuna burger. Big Kahuna burger. That is mm-hmm. a damn good burger. You know, $5 shakes, you know, a Royale with cheese, all that kind of stuff. So as a fake critic person that I, 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 I agree with you, I don't get to go as much as I'd like to. But there were times where I have invites to up to four or five films a week. And if you go see four or five films a week, it starts to blur. It starts to oh, yeah. blend together. And you can't differentiate sometimes what you saw here and what you saw here because if it's very similar if you see a bunch of -of run-of-the-mill comedies or dramas or even action films it's the stuff that stands out that really hits you and when you cannot predict so i i often quote to my kids i said look you can't probably watch this until you're a bit older but the lobster is one of those films where i could not tell you what was going to happen in the next scene every scene was something very, very different at a left field. I couldn't predict to you what was happening. And for that reason, I was having a love affair watching that movie. Now, my wife was freaked out by it watching it the whole time going, I don't like this. This is really odd. This is really freaky. I don't like this imagery. What the hell's happening here? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I love it. Like, that's all I could say to her is just like, I'm just having the best time in the movies right now. And like, my wife watches a fair amount of stuff, but for me, uh, and she tells me like, why do you want to watch you know, scary films and horror films and, you know, art house films and surreal films? And I'm going, cause I want something different. I, yep. I, I don't want to eat McDonald's, Carlo. Mm. I, I want to, I mean, I want to order in some Hello Fresh. I want some fresh ingredients. I want different tastes and flavors. When I go mm. to a restaurant, I'm going to try the local cuisine and I'm going to see, well, what's the chef's special on this one? I don't want to order from the menu. I'm notorious for going for restaurants and ordering something that's not on the menu. <laughs> so, yep. and I think that's what like a lot of uh, sort of critics fall into that sort of category. Uh, and again, like, um, everyone wants to share their opinion and it comes yep. down to things like your your worldview. I mean, you and I, Carlo, have a lot of things that we have in common, uh, our age, our likes, um, mm-hmm. but we, we, you know, we have a little bit of difference, obviously, with um, family of origin stuff uh, mm-hmm. and we, for the most part, will sit down and agree that we like these films, but there are films where I can't believe you like it. I'm going, what the <laughs> hell? And he'll give this film like a glowing review and I'm like, what? Oh, man, I'm embarrassed to run this site now. <laughs> and- I, remember, I remember very 
very specifically when I told you I liked Assassin's Creed, like when I got out of the movies, and your first response was, are you sure about that? <laughs> I remember I remember Batman versus Superman. We called. Yeah. I called you. Oh, that was a heartbreaking conversation. And we had this like, I drove because that screening was at Andrew Pilly for me, which is like a 50 minute yeah. drive. And we had a long call. Like for everyone who doesn't yeah. know, Carly's down in Melbourne. I'm in Brisbane. That's, you know, like a three hour flight. Uh, we had this long conversation and I'm like, I love you, but what the hell, man? Like, yeah. why? Why do you like I this? Lo- I like, like shiny things. What I, can I say? And I know. And that's the thing. Like you actually like shiny things. And mm. Peter Gray is really good at finding the positives, even in films he doesn't like. So he, mm. He very rarely, unless it's called Cats, will destroy a film. Um, But, you know, and so it comes down to uh, your experience, your family of origin, where you come from. I mean, do you have a mum and dad? Do you have multiple sisters and brothers? You know, um, do you have a religious background? Do you have, uh, are you an atheist? Do you have, uh, how much money do you have in your bank account? How much money do your parents have? All these kind of factors shape who you are as a person. And then when you go into the movies, you start to associate with different ideas. It's also people's level of, acceptance of art as well and i think one of the one of the points i wrote down here is critics seem to be i guess the word could be open-minded to things like slow burn and i think that a lot of the movies that are heralded as masterpieces and given high rotten tomato scores uh not always but there's a lot of slow burn cinema out there so things that naturally unfold over time they let uh scenes and characters sit and um, permeate for a while and let them develop and sometimes the endings don't end with any kind of big dramatic finale uh, whereas I think what you were alluding to is we have audience members who don't get to go to the movies that often so they want to when they go to the movies they want escapism they want flashbang they want jokes they want bright mm-hmm. colors they want to escape as long as they can because it's not their profession it's not it's not you know part like cinema is not part of their life every day no no and like I guess you and I wake up in the morning and we start thinking about film you know, mm. we live and breathe it. Like we spend a lot of our time. We're spending our Sunday evening recording a podcast to talk about mm. film. Like this is not what everyone does. So general mm. audiences, for the most part, are just going to want to have that escapism. Now, that's that's not to like paint everyone with the same stroke because one person might go to the movies three times a year. One person might go to the movies three times a month. And, you know, one might be very discerning with what they watch and how they view things. I also think that one of the things that comes down to is I have a lot of students, a lot of teenagers and young adults who don't actually get to go to the movies. So they watch a lot of their films through uh, devices at home and they watch it in the worst ways possible. So they watch it on their phone, they watch it on their laptop, they watch it on their their tablet, but they also are texting and tweeting and Facebook and Snapchatting and all that kind of stuff at the same time. So I'm saying, well, did you enjoy the film? Oh, no, I hate it. I'm like, okay, what do you think about this, this and this? they couldn't answer me because they haven't actually watched the film properly. So, uh, I mean, that's that's. I mean, there's so much to do with this. So, I'll, I'll, I'll skip back to you for a second. But before I do, I will say one thing. There is a website called Pretentious Omita, and it's a site that actually <laughs> looks at the divide between public and critical scores. Uh, you know, it, it exists. I don't know how good it is, but it exists. And I put it in a few movies to have a look, and I'm going, oh yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I moved on. We can talk about some of the films that I, I guess scored highly with critics and scored low with audiences. Like, yeah. for instance, The Last Jedi, ninety-one well, percent yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, forty-three percent audience score. Yeah, and then, but then, see again, like, and that's another one that's sort of like. If it, that has a, a sort of very fervent built-in fan base that got something that they weren't expecting, yeah, you know. But then also there was a, uh, a, a 
I want to say that there was a coordinated troll like review bombing campaign as well. Um, I know that this is going to be a lot of people uh, in the comment section who probably listen to this are going to be very, very angry with me, but say you know. There, there was. There was a campaign against there the was. film. Yeah, no, ultimately, and, and there still is uh, to, to, to some extent. I mean, ultimately, they got Rise of Skywalker in the end, and I'm sure um, those people are very happy. Um, but, you know, the, the critics saw The Last Jedi and got something different, and they loved the fact that it was something different. Then they saw The Rise of Skywalker, and if you saw a lot of the criticism, and see, like, it's 52%. I don't regard 52% as a failure. I regard it as mixed. Yeah. You know, critics were divided. And that's the other thing about Rotten Tomatoes, is the fact that the way that they aggregate the scores is not nuanced or subtle enough. Because it goes, you know, anything between 80 to 100% is fresh. Anything below that is, like, a red tomato, and then once it hits the fifties, it's rotten. Yeah, that to me doesn't make any sense. You're a teacher. If you gave a student a fifty-five, do you then tell them that they've failed the 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 test? I can tell you exactly what number we give the kids. Off you go. <laughs> so uh, I guess there's there's the new QCE system. Yep. And so the new QCE cutoffs are A plus is 92, A is 85, yep. A minus is 80, B plus is 74, B is 69, B minus is 65, C plus is 60, C is 50, a C minus is 45, and a fail in our system is a D plus, and that's 40 and below. Yeah. Okay. So say you don't fail the student if they've got a 55. No. Okay. You're disappointed with them. You're uh. disappointed, <laughs> and you go, maybe you could have done better. Yeah. But you don't go, you're a failure. It and also see, depends if it's is, like yeah. the student who, you know, you wish they could. Like, you know, they're the little engine that could and they just couldn't <laughs> yeah. quite get there. And so you're like, you're going, no, no, good on you. You didn't fail. That's great. Yeah. But see, that is part of the problem that I, I have. And I think that's part of the problem that leads to this perceived divide between critics and audiences is that the way that we ag- well, the way that sort of Rotten Tomatoes aggregates these scores is not subtle enough. So the minute something hits within its 50s and you see the, the big green squelch um, emoji or whatever you want to call it, people automatically assume that it's a failure. Yes. When really we've got to re, rethink, the like reimagine, not reimagine, I guess uh, rework the way we think about these scores and say anything within that 50% mark is mixed. Yeah. Which means that some critics really dug the film, some critics didn't dig the film. So we need a new icon. It needs to be like a slightly worn tomato. Not rotten, not squelched, but like a slightly, like it's starting to bruise. Yeah, like slightly like it's been in the fridge, it's got a couple of days of use, you've got two days to use it in a salad. If not, you've got to chuck it in. Part of it's a little bit squishy, so you cut around that, which actually I think is a really good analogy for a 50% film, because you're going, you know what, I could cut out half of this film or a quarter of this film, and there's still enough good there for me to like this film, so maybe we need to like that's the way we can get on Rotten Tomatoes, Carlo, because you and I are both not Rotten Tomatoes reviewers, and, and our man Peter Gray is. And I yeah. have uh, I have applied several times. I mean, I've got a <laughs> I've got a long history of Rotten Tomatoes. I've been following this site for probably close to 
15 years, maybe more. It might, I, I can't remember when I first discovered them, but it would have been when I was sort of in university and discovering what film was really about and started watching everything I could. Like that's when I devoured cinema. I would, when I wasn't at uni or working, I was watching the Godfather trilogy and Taxi Driver and Dog Day Afternoon. I just watched anything from the 70s and 80s and 60s. I just watched all this old cinema to get into my heads. And, it's, it's, and then the kind of Rotten Tomatoes to me was like a, yeah, look at that percentage. And I'll admit, I was exactly like, like Aziz Ansari and Master of None. Like there's a cool scene in that where he's like, what's it on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm not going to anything below 70%. And I yeah. did that. And doing that actually, as much as that makes me like a snob in a way, it actually meant I watched a lot of good movies that I didn't think I would normally see. So for instance, I remember my wife and I were out on a date many, many years ago, pre-children, when you could actually have dates and go see things and just be spontaneous. And, Free time. <laughs> you know? And yep. um, I remember it was like, okay, we've got some time to kill. Let's go see a movie. And I went to Rotten Tomatoes and all I did was have a look and see what was playing. I think at the day we were looking at Palace Cinemas, um, Barracks or Centro, one of those ones. And Submarine was playing. And I'd never yep. heard of it, had no idea what Submarine was, but I saw that it was, I believe, in sort of the 80s or 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, you know, after seeing it, I then realized, oh, Richard Aerody, like, directed that. The guy from IT Crowd. And there's a lot of cool actors like Patty Constantine and all that stuff. So, and I loved it. I just had the best time. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, Rotten Tomatoes, you've done it again. Like, thank mm -hmm. you for suggesting such a great film. So, I have often, I mean, I've even written Rotten Tomatoes into my curriculum. In grade nine, we do film genre and film criticism. And we actually use Rotten Tomatoes. And I get kids to write down their top 10 favorite films of all time and then find the Rotten Tomatoes score and see you know how good their taste is and they do the averages up and it's it's funny you know what seeing what those scores come out at and it's all arbitrary and it's all subjective and i get all that but it's just it's interesting to know where people who constantly see cinema are sort of branding uh, a film like it's at this hmm. particular score so i have always used it quite well but in recent times i don't know if you've looked into this at all or read about this much but they're kind of rotten tomatoes is making a very concerted effort in at times to disallow certain critics from commenting so there hmm. was a whole controversy of dave chappelle's stand-up where only a few reviewers were given the chance to actually publish their reviews and they were all particularly leaning a, a particular political way and it was yep. zeroed um, and there's yep. all these other reviews that were out there that were quite positive mm -hmm. and and didn't factor into all the sort of political correctness stuff and so mm -hmm. when i hear little stories like that i'm hoping that that stuff's untrue that it's not founded i'm hoping that's the case because i don't want it to be we will enhance or broadcast certain opinions but we mm -hmm. will silence others and i know that's kind of i think that's happened with things like imdb and metacritic where uh certain voices uh have been deleted or muted on certain posts because also we do have this issue like you said where we have review bombing people will attack yep. a film destroy a film for no reason and we, we can't have that either so you need to have this kind of fair just system where opinions can be spread but if you start getting vitriolic and you know, hyped up and you're all sort of in your echo chamber airing each other on to destroy something. We can't have that. But we also need to have integrity with our reviewers as well. So, you know, depending on, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are politically or your sort of social background, you know, review a film, be honest about it, but then allow other people to sort of share that opinion as well. And then, and then see what happens. Let it all come out in the wash. I, that's, that's probably my, my, you know, my thing. But it comes down to like, at the end of the day, man, 
I guess the question is, do, do we even need critics? Are critics even a thing anymore? Like, do we even have an impact or an effect? Because I remember World's Greatest Showman I thought was the biggest load of crap. And I yeah. hated that film. And, um, and I, I let my opinion be heard. And I felt bad because the person who actually did the screening for us is lovely, one of the nicest mm. um, promoters out there. Uh, but I was like, I just really hated that film. But then I no, had people like getting really angry with me and saying I was really snarky and really grumpy and judgmental. And, you know, and I also saw people who were loving it who went and saw that film like nine times in the movies. Like it made a yep. lot of money. It was a general crowd pleaser. Yeah, so in that instance, I'm like, it doesn't matter if I like this or hate this. People are going to go no. see this and they're going to connect to it. And I can raise my concerns or my thoughts, but at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter. No, and I think that I think what I come back to is the notion of, and, and someone once posted this in, in our comment section where it was like, because um, Alex Proyas had made some pretty narky, review, uh, narky comments about reviewers and stuff after Gods of Egypt. Um, he, and and someone said, you know, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend what, 20, 25 bucks on a movie ticket, I want to know if the movie's going to be good or not. Yeah. You know. And so, to that regard, I feel as though um, uh, movie critics are sort of valuable in that sense. I think where it, it we sort of fail, and I say we, I don't sort of, you know, I, I, I too am a bit of a fake critic as well. I think where we sort of tend to fall down is not letting people sort of like explore and and discover things for themselves. Um, I, I I think that's I think that's a missing part of cinema nowadays, and I think that's probably one of the good things about streaming in that people don't don't tend to sort of go on rotten to well, uh, at least I've heard about people don't tend to go on rotten tomatoes when they're like scrolling through their netflix you know they'll say something like oh that looks all right and they'll hit play they don't have the time to go all right it's costing me 25 bucks to go see this okay well what's the reviews on rotten tomatoes you know they will allow themselves to sort of just explore and discover and i think that that is something that streaming allows for whereas cinema doesn't like going to the movies doesn't have that kind of factor nowadays a little bit because it is so expensive to do so um and i think that's kind of where we sort of let uh uh people down to some degree yeah i mean you know it sort of goes back to the idea of when you used to go to a video store you know way back when and you would go i would like peruse the aisles and look for cool stuff to watch you know and and go on the art house section or go into the foreign language section and just you know find things that you know that 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 would look cool to me or that I'd heard about and passing from someone you know I think we're missing that because of the way things are you know with ratings and what have you I think we're missing that sort of degree of discovery for people you know um, and I think that uh, I, I've always said and I said to uh, Adam DeWild one of our other writers I said to him like you know, when I first started this game, when I first started writing, I would tell people not to go see a film if, if I thought it was bad. But after the few years of doing this, what I've discovered is that like everyone, everyone's boat floats differently, <laughs> you know. Um, there's something for everyone. And I think that people react differently. Art is a subjective medium, you know. You're going to find your cinematic happy place in places where other people might not, you know. So... In that regard, what I'd say is that I am merely an opinion and you are merely an opinion and David Elrich is merely an opinion, even if he is quite a combative opinion. Um, but ultimately, 
uh, I feel as though that, um, uh, uh, like, I, I feel as though that we need to allow people to um, have the autonomy to be able to just go see a film for themselves and make up their own mind. Absolutely. At least, yeah. So it also um, could be like, yeah. you know, if you want to go engage with the opinions, do so. Don't yep. take offense to it. Don't um, send hate mail to those who disagree with you. And it's yeah. the same. It's, it's vice versa. Like there shouldn't be this kind of snobby elitist uh, critics who, you know, turn their noses up at people who like other films than them. So like, for instance, I wasn't very happy with the Joker, but I wouldn't tell anyone to go to not go see it. And I wouldn't mm. make fun of someone for loving it. Uh, I would, no. I would say to them, look, if, if you like the Joker, have you seen taxi driver and the King of comedy? Because mm. you know, those films are the Joker. Uh, I would sort of allude to that. And I did in my review. Um, mm. And that's where my kind of, I bumped on it. Cause I'm like, look, th- I've seen this film before. It happened back in the seventies. Um, mm. But some people don't have that kind of cinematic knowledge and some people don't have that time and they, they might be new and they might not watch a lot of stuff. So again, we don't have to be snobs about this. We don't have to be elitist about this. We can mm. let people enjoy it uh, and, and go from there. Except if you like The Rise of Skywalker, then you're just dead to me. <laughs> I th- <laughs> Jokes. That's fair enough. Jokes. Um, I, I, I think that also too is that um, like uh, uh, we're in an era where uh, it, it pays to click. Oh, yes. Right? So if I'm a the head of if I'm the editor a major editor of like a major movie website and it costs and I have to pay my mortgage I am going to tap one of my writers to be like can you please do a hot take what's the hot take on whatever stirs up the most controversy for clicks yeah you know and I think that that is also what perpetuates this sort of cycle of this per- perceived divide between audience and critics is that you know we come out we've got a massive audience uh well i'm not saying we but i'm saying you know movie or the sort of movie news sites in general have a massive audience and they'll come out with this sort of hot take a sort of contrived hot take that hasn't been sort of properly researched and it just says stuff um that will no doubt like kick the hornet's nest to the umpteenth degree um, I saw one, and I'm going to name it. I saw one from No Film School that basically was uh, telling people not to go see the Joker. Now that is beyond idiotic and kind of irresponsible. Yeah, totally um, irresponsible. But uh, I, having read the, the the article itself, there were certain things in it that I agreed with. There were certain things that I didn't agree with. Um, but to sit there and say you shouldn't go see this film and it was following uh, comments like the idiotic comments Todd Phillip made about, you know, cancel culture and work culture and all this sort of stuff. Um, uh, for me, that is an irresponsible thing to do, you know, and, and for me that just perpetuates this idea that, you know, critics and writers are an elitist group um, and we're the tastemakers and we're the people who tell you what to go see. Yeah. Um, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think I, I saw the Joker. I saw it once. I didn't really sort of have a compulsion to see it again. Um, I might maybe later on down the track. Um, but when I was talking to people about it, I said, this is what it did for me. This is the confusion. This is the, the issues, the things that I really liked about it. 
but you should go see for yourself and make up your own mind because I'm just an opinion and you might get something differently out of it. And I think the cool thing about the Joker, like love it or hate it, I think is a kind of cinematic Rorschach test for a lot of people because people are walking out of it getting different things out of it. You know, it is not one thing to, to, to everybody. It's a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. And I think that that's sort of like the beauty of the film to some degree. And I think it's kind of like it's hidden genius whether or not Todd Phillips, you know, thought that that was going to be a thing. <laughs> I, I doubt he did. Um, but ultimately, that is what it's turning into. And I think that, uh, you know, we can't then as a, a community of writers turn around and be like, you shouldn't go see that film. Like that is beyond stupid yeah totally agree so look we've kind of discussed this through it's a big topic there are lots of hot takes on hot takes um Mm -hmm. and that hot take culture is very much driven by hey we want to drive traffic to the site and look we don't really engage in that uh we try and share a couple of memes to get people sort of having a good time when they think about film uh we share our opinions to the best of our degree with with as much integrity as we can uh i know that i try and make sure that i um don't let other people's opinions infiltrate my opinion when i'm writing it but then my opinion might change there might be something that i write saying i really like this and then six months down the track i might completely go actually the more i think about it i dislike it or i might completely reverse the other way so opinions change uh the whole thing is subjective i mean as a film teacher i actually have to look at someone's script sometimes or someone's film and it's actually quite hard at times to say well this is definitely this mark and this is definitely this mark and we've had moderation sessions where it's like we have two completely different opinions on one text and you're going but you know and we use criteria to try and justify these decisions but when the word effective comes in what you consider to be effective and what I consider to be effective can be vastly different. So that's mm-hmm. just the nature of the game, I guess. Carla, do you have any final thoughts? Because we might want to wrap this sucker up and let people have a sleep. I think, uh, I, personally speaking, I, I, I don't necessarily think that the divide between uh, like writers and, and, and audience members is as big as people like to believe it is. Yep. Um, I think people like to perpetuate that idea. I think that people tend to per- like to perpetuate an idea of uh, the elite versus the people. Um, but ultimately, I think that, um, you know, if you took the people out, if you took the writers out who are just there to sort of gain notoriety, who are just there to gain um, a, a, a sort of name in the game and sort of want to be, you know, talked about, if you took those guys out, what you're left with are a bunch of writers who are trying to do their best, who are um, wanting to, uh, who are probably on the same page as you when they see a film. You know, uh, you'd be surprised at how many people how many critics actually dig the Fast and Furious franchise, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but I would say, you know, uh, I don't believe that there is as big a chasm between uh, writers and audiences as people would perceive there to be. Um, and I think that the sooner we start to sort of like think about that and sort of think that we're all on the same page together, I think the better off your movie-going experience is going to be. And the only other thing too that I'd recommend is just like if there's a film that you see that's getting bad reviews, go see it regardless. Like if if you saw a trailer, you know, let's say you saw Hellboy and then you read Shane's review, <laughs> still go see Hellboy. Yes. Still go find it, track it down on Blu-ray, see it for yourself. And if it's as bad as Shane said, well then, you know, Shane is knows what he's talking about. <laughs> 
Um, but if it's not, if it, if you actually dug it, then that is your taste. That's something that you like, and that is okay. It's okay to like the things you like. It's totally you know? okay. It's absolutely okay. So um, I would recommend people not sort of worry about too much about this idea of uh, of an elitist thing. I can't personally recommend someone go see the lighthouse, <laughs> ex- except for Shane. And look, and that's what I said <laughs> in my review. Shane, so and and Benji, Benji Taylor, <laughs> you are the only two people in the world that I know that I can be like, you know what, go see the lighthouse, bro, because I know you're gonna love it. I actually had Everyone- a really cool moment this morning. So you know, the lighthouse review that I've written has not had a heck of a lot of traffic toward it. So if you're listening to this, go read the lighthouse just for a good old time for reading purposes. But I actually liked it on our Facebook page. I shared the article, and there was at least two people who loved the film, and they were quoting some of William Defoe's crazy antics back on the page so you know and that's the stuff that actually makes film uh communities fun people who uh love movies engage in movies remember movies quote movies live and breathe movies that's the kind of stuff Mm -hmm. we love to talk about so look we'll wrap it up there mate guys don't review bomb uh (laughs) don't don't attack a film don't don't sit on like your little corners of the internet festering over a female-led superhero film or an african-american-led superhero film or a little horror film over here or a little drama film over here um look if you don't like the film that's fair enough that's fine go watch the movie or watch something else completely if you're a reviewer bear in mind that some of the words we use might actually um denigrate the the work of a lot of hardworking people that's what i always come back to but you know we'll, we'll share our opinions honestly uh and we'll have a polite discourse that's that's the world we're <laughs> going to live in a polite egalitarian lovely less hateful conversation the, the optimism is turning into naivety here. oh look i'm holding hands and singing kumbaya <laughs> over here man look uh this is this is film thank you so much for checking in with us check out our website check out our twitter feed check out our facebook page uh enter our competitions we have one for the invisible man popping up soon we hope you have a wonderful week we'll check in with you sometime soon have a good day go see birds of prey see it that man is playing galaga thought we wouldn't notice but we did